Well, it's an image that I will never forget. <clears throat> I was in Cuba with my father and brother. We were speaking at a pastor's conference with 200 Cuban pastors from around that uh, island nation. And uh, it was the beginning of one of our morning sessions, and an elderly gentleman, uh, uh, a retired uh, older Cuban pastor, stood up before the group to share a devotional that morning. And uh, in his Spanish, I was able to pick out uh, pieces of his, uh, of his devotional. I could tell that he was reading from Daniel chapter 3, the passage that we find ourselves in this morning. As he was sharing his words, it didn't take long before I looked around and realized that the vast majority of these Cuban pastors, 200 men, were weeping tears as this elderly retired pastor shared. I talked to my missionary friend who was sitting next to me who was uh, organizing this trip for us, and I said, what's going on? What is, he, what is he speaking on? It was obviously a powerful, powerful moment. And my missionary friend explained to me that he was sharing the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And I'll never forget, my friend said to me, Jason... For these pastors here, this is not just a nice Bible story. He said, you look around this room, and the vast majority of these men have spent time in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know what it is to stand in the midst of the fiery furnace, trusting in God's faithfulness. It was a powerful moment. I think about that as we come to our passage this morning, and we think about the reality of our lives today, living as God's people in modern-day Babylon, a culture that is hostile to God's ways, uh, a place that seems so foreign to everything that is dear to us as God's people who seek to live our lives in, in God's ways, honoring his word. And we look around and we see this world that just seems not only so foreign, but even at times overtly hostile to what God has declared to us as right and good and true. And there are times, as we all recognize, that living in Babylon, we are going to be faced with trials. We're going to be faced with hardships. We may even face persecution for the sake of our faith and the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we find ourselves in those times and in those seasons, we look to passages like Daniel chapter 3 for encouragement, for inspiration. In fact, this is a passage of Scripture that has inspired God's people for thousands of years now to stand boldly, to stand strong in the midst of Babylon. We're going to read the example here this morning of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of those four Hebrew young men who were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar, taken out of their homeland in Judah in 605 B.C., taken off into Babylon. We've seen so far how the king has had them go through his indoctrination program, trying to, trying to deprogram them out of their Hebrew uh, biblical beliefs into the worldview of Babylon. We've seen their resolve, their commitment to stand firm. We've seen God honor their faithfulness. And today we continue on with another chapter in their story where 
they are once again going to be put to the test in this hostile land. Let's take a look at our passage this morning, Daniel chapter 3. Just to remind you of the context, we just saw in chapter 2 how King Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream, this dream that troubled him. He had gathered his wise men to try to find an interpretation for the dream. The wise men weren't able to give the king an interpretation of his dream. Daniel stepped forward. Daniel trusted that there was a God in heaven who could declare the meaning of the king's dream. He went back. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they prayed to God for mercy God gave them the answer to the king's dream, and they went and shared with the king this, this vision that we saw last week, this vision of a statue that represented God's sovereignty and God's power over the history of the world, the nations of the world, a vision that included King Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold of this statue, but God told him that his kingdom was going to come to, the, come to an end and that there would be other kingdoms that would follow him, ultimately to be culminated in the kingdom of all kingdoms, led by the king of kings, the Messiah who would come. Well, this morning we pick up, and we're not quite sure how long after that scene this passage takes place. Some scholars think it was only a matter of a year or two after the king's dream and Daniel's interpretation that, that this scene takes place. Others think it could have been upwards of 10 years, but time has gone by, and now we see what the king has done coming out of that experience of God giving him this incredible vision in this dream. Chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. Friends, that's 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Obviously would have had a base as well holding this massive statue up, 9 stories tall. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, and again, they were the wise men, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, furious in rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because if the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What a great story, isn't it? Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. If that doesn't make you want to cheer, I don't know what does. But you can see, friends, here why this passage has been such an inspiration to God's people throughout the centuries. God's people who find themselves so many times throughout history living in Babylon. Maybe not the literal Babylon of 600 B.C., but our own versions of Babylon throughout the ages. Hostile cultures that 
set themselves up against the will and ways of God. Well, here in our passage this morning, I want to highlight three ways that we are encouraged as God's people when we look at the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The first that I want to highlight for us is as God's people, we're called to stand out in a culture of compromise. And we see this in the example here of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing out in a culture of compromise. You know, the empire of Babylon at this time could rightly be described as a culture of compromise. In fact, from from top to bottom throughout this passage, we see very clearly that Babylon was characterized by compromise. We see this first and foremost here in King Nebuchadnezzar, a, a king that compromised the truth. Verses 1 through 7, it's very interesting. I I don't know if you picked up on the language here in this passage, but six times in verses 1 through 7, and I believe about a dozen times in our whole passage, we are told over and over again, King Nebuchadnezzar set up, he set up, he set up, he set up. Did you catch that, friends, in verses 1 through 7? How many times Daniel records that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up this golden image, this idol, Friends, that is no mistake that Daniel emphasizes those words over and over and over again. Because what did we just learn last week in Daniel chapter 2? If you remember in Daniel's prayer of thanksgiving after God had revealed the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2, 21, what did we read? We read that it is God, the Lord in heaven, who sets up kings and removes kings. And so here we see very clearly that Nebuchadnezzar is seeking to usurp the authority that belongs to God alone. It is God who sets up kings. And Nebuchadnezzar's act here of creating a golden idol, an idol, friends, that was very likely an image of himself, an idol by which Nebuchadnezzar was declaring to the whole world, not only am I the head of gold, but I am the whole body of gold, and my kingdom is going to last forever because I am the king of kings. That's what this idol was all about. It was a direct, in-your-face opposition move to the message that he had just received from God through Daniel. Daniel said, you might temporarily be king, but your kingdom is not going to last forever. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I am the king of kings. I'm not just the head of gold, I am the whole statue. And so Daniel highlights here over and over again, in opposition to God's will, Nebuchadnezzar set this up, he set it up, he set it up, he set it up, setting himself up in opposition to God as the king of kings. Here again, as we've seen already many times in our series in Daniel, we see the absurdity of man's rebellion against the word of God. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, this rebellion is particularly striking because he had just received this miraculous dream and this miraculous interpretation, and yet here he is living in direct rebellion against what God had just shared with him. Foolishness. But as we've seen so many times in recent weeks, sin leads to foolishness. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, professing to be wise, they have become fools. 
We, we become fools, friends, when we choose to go our way instead of God's way. And here again, we see this in Nebuchadnezzar, who God had revealed truth to Nebuchadnezzar about who he was and his place in history, and yet Nebuchadnezzar says, no, I'm going to set myself up as an image to be worshipped, as a God to be bowed down to. Foolishness. It's very interesting. It reminds me of that parable Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. But the foolish man, the foolish man built his house upon the sands. And that house didn't survive the storm, did it, friends? You know, it's very interesting when we look at Nebuchadnezzar. Here is this king who literally built an idol of himself upon the shifting sands. Where is that great and glorious idol today? It's gone forever, isn't it? You know, friends, it's easy to see the folly in Nebuchadnezzar's idolatry here. But as we reflect on this, I would hope that each of us might consider how quickly we too can succumb to the very same folly. Ignoring God's word, setting up idols in our lives, worshiping anything and everything except the one true God who is worthy of our devotion. You might be thinking, well, Jason, I I don't struggle with idolatry. I don't set up idols in my life. But friends, let me ask you, have you ever valued money over God's mission? Have you ever put your hobbies before your home life? Do you ever prioritize work over worship? I think if we're honest about it, we probably have more idols in our lives than we realize. It's easy for us to compromise the truth and worship temporary and transient things. And this is why we need passages like the one we're in this morning. Passages that encourage us and give us these examples from God's word, both bad and good, that we can learn from. So we see here the the compromise of King Nebuchadnezzar. We also see Babylon, a land of compromise. We see it in the people themselves, a people that were quick to compromise their convictions. Look look, look at verse 7 again. All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped. Now remember, friends, Babylon was made up of peoples from all over the world who had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, and just like the Hebrews from Judah, they had been brought back into Babylon. And these people from all of these foreign lands who had their own gods and their own beliefs, just like the Hebrews who had been brought from Judah, all of them, it says, probably tens of thousands, if not even more, gathered before this image and bowed down to worship. All compromising their convictions. This was not only a culture where truth was compromised, but it was a culture where people were quick to compromise their own convictions. Truth was meaningless in Babylon. Pragmatism ruled the day. Pragmatism, doing what works in the moment, situational ethics, even at the expense of one's own beliefs. 
the whole crowd went along to get along, bowing before this golden image. Friends, doesn't that sound a lot like our own country today? People blindly following the latest woke agenda, bowing down to the gods of our secular relativistic culture, no sense of conviction other than naive obedience to whatever cause the media tells us to celebrate on a given day. You think about, for example, the transgender movement that's become so popular in recent years in our culture. Our culture today tells us that providing these dear people, precious people made in the image of God, our culture says that providing these people with the mental, emotional, spiritual support they need is evil. And instead, we need to celebrate this lifestyle with drag queen story hours and family-friendly drag shows and surgeries for minors that leave them irreversibly mutilated and sterilized. And our culture goes along to get along celebrating this all the way. It's tragic, friends. But again, our culture today is not too unlike Babylon. Millions of people quick to compromise their convictions, afraid to stand out in the crowd. We see this culture of compromise in Babylon, not only in the king, not only in the people, but in the king's counselors, in, in, in the wise men who, who gave the king advice and counsel and guidance, verses 8 through 12. Isn't it interesting here in our passage how quickly the wise men of Babylon jumped at the opportunity to sacrifice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for their own selfish interests? Oh, king, by the way, are you aware? You know those three Hebrews that you elevated to those high prominent positions in your government? Are you aware, oh, king, that they're not bowing down to your golden image? Friends, you don't think there was any agenda in that, do you? Of course there was. These men were jealous of these Hebrews and the prominence that they had attained in Babylon. And so they were trying to get rid of them so that they could insert themselves in these high positions. You know, one of the chief hallmarks of our fallen sinful nature is our propensity to seek self-interest over the interests of others. This is as old as time going back to the Garden of Eden. You remember when Adam tried to throw Eve under the bus, trying to save himself in God's eyes? Yes, friends, make no mistake, we are quick to seek our own selfish interests. We see this today in a culture that celebrates abortions of convenience, in politicians who abuse their power for personal gain, in corporations that exploit the poor and children of the world while they make billions of dollars selling us their smartphones and sneakers. The examples are endless. And friends, how different this is from the ethic that Jesus taught us. Remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. An ethic that has had a transformative impact all around the world amongst people who have embraced it. To love others as you love yourself. 
how far we've fallen from this great commandment. We see here Babylon was this culture of compromise from the top to the bottom. And it still is that today. But we also see in our passage that mor- this morning that there have always been those in Babylon who refuse to bow to the gods of this world. A faithful remnant, men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who choose to stand for God no matter the cost. Friends, our world today needs a faithful remnant like that. Will you be part of that remnant? That's our challenge in this passage this morning. This leads me to point number two today. In the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're encouraged to stand up in the courts of confusion. Verses 13 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. Now here, we see their convictions really put to the test because you see, friends, it's one thing to stand for your faith. It's another thing to stick to your stand when it really counts. I've seen over the years a lot of people are willing to live for Jesus privately or within the safe confines of church on a Sunday morning when nothing's really on the line. But are you willing to stand for Jesus when you're called into your boss's office? Or when your teacher puts you on the spot in front of your class? Or when your friends are egging you on? Or, as for many believers around the world today, when the barrel of the gun is pressed against your forehead. That's when you discover what your faith is really made of. I received an email on Monday from a pastor friend of mine asking me to pray. He had received a note from a missionary in their church just that morning The note said this, three of our believers in Afghanistan were caught by the Taliban this weekend on their way to a prayer meeting. We believe they're being tortured now to force them to recant their faith. It's likely they will be martyred if they refuse to recant. Please pray for their faith to remain strong. Pray that they would be faithful to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to their captors. Pray that God would be glorified in their life or in their death. Pray that God would deliver them. Pray for the other believers there to grow and overcome fear. This is real life. Believers all around the world forced to stand in the face of great danger. This is the kind of faith and courage and resolve that we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, I love verses 16 through 18 in our passage, some of the greatest words of faith in the whole Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Friends, what a declaration of faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood boldly in the face of King Nebuchadnezzar. What gave these men this courage to stand? I think there were four things. Number one, they trusted God's sovereignty. 
We, we see here in this declaration in verses 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they clearly believed that God had the power to save them, but they also trusted God enough to know that he also had a perfect will and plan for their lives. And if God chose to deliver them from the fiery furnace, praise the Lord. And if he didn't choose to deliver them, he had a reason in that as well, and we're going to praise him just the same. These were men who, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21, declared with their lives, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they saw this as a win-win situation. You throw us into the fire and our God's either going to save us from the fires or he's going to save us through the fires and bring us to his eternal paradise. Friends, what do you do with guys like that? <laughs> you do anything you want because they trusted in the sovereign plan of God. The second reason these men had the courage to stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar is they knew God's word. They knew God's word. And not only did they know God's word, but because God had spoken, this was a settled matter for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God had spoken truth on the question of whether we bow before idols. In fact, when God had led his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt in the Exodus, when they came into the promised land in Exodus chapter 20, God gave his people the law through Moses. The very first thing he says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. See, friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the word of God. They had been raised to know God's word. They knew God's truth. They applied this truth to their lives. And so it was a settled matter. You can build the tallest golden idol you want and you can have the greatest orchestra of all the instruments in Babylon, but we're not going to bow before your God because we bow before only one God, the God who's spoken and revealed truth. And so thirdly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the courage to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar because they were committed to their convictions. They had already resolved in their hearts that they would honor God no matter what. We saw a neat example of this in our own culture just a couple weeks ago when an L, one of the stars in the NHL, a hockey player named Ivan Provorov for the Philadelphia Flyers. The Philadelphia Flyers two weeks ago had Pride Night in their arena in Philadelphia. They had asked all their players to wear rainbow flag hockey jerseys. Ivan Provorov, who is a Russian Orthodox Christian, he said, no, I'm not going to wear your jersey." I'm going to remain true to my religion and true to myself. He had already resolved in his heart his position on this matter. And so when he was faced with the fire, he was willing to stand firm no matter the cost. Very interesting, after Provorov made this stand, he was skewered in the national media in the subsequent days. 
homophobic, bigoted. Some even said he should go back to Russia and go fight on the front lines of Ukraine where he belongs. Evil thoughts and comments directed at him because he was willing to stand for his convictions. Friends, I want to tell you something. Resolutions like this, they need to be made in advance, well in advance. You need to determine in your heart what you truly believe before you face the flames. Otherwise, you're going to be quick to fall. Men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had already resolved in their hearts what their convictions were. And so when they faced the reality of the furnace, they were already determined to stand firm. The fourth reason that they had the confidence and courage to stand up to the king is, is I believe that they recalled God's triumphs. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recalled God's previous triumphs in earlier trials. Remember, God had delivered them in the food test back in chapter 1. God had elevated them to prominent positions in Babylon. God had given them an answer to the king's dream and revealed that interpretation through Daniel. They had seen him answer their prayers. The king had elevated them again. These men had seen God already prove himself faithful in the midst of trials, and so they trusted in these past triumphs, giving them courage in the moment to stand faithful in the face of the flames. Friends, let me ask you this morning, are you quick to recall God's triumphs in your life? You may face times of trial when your faith is discouraged and your convictions are disparaged and following Jesus might be costly, but when those times come, let me encourage you. Look to God's triumphs and be encouraged and reminded that God is always faithful. So friends, these are the secrets to standing up for your faith in Babylon, no matter the cost. We, we need to trust God's sovereignty. We need to know his word. We need to be committed to our convictions. We need to recall God's triumphs. But there's one last point of encouragement that we see here in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They encourage us to stand firm in the crucible of crisis. You know, it's interesting, we see in verses 19 through 30 that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Imagine that, being literally cast into these burning flames. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? Charles Spurgeon, the, the great Baptist preacher, he once made this comment on this passage. He said, Beloved, you must go into the furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dealings with Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? This is a lesson that we find throughout Scripture, a truth that we see in our passage this morning, a reality that countless believers have experienced in their own lives. Friends, there are some lessons you cannot learn, and there are depths of God's love you cannot fathom apart from the flames. And sometimes God in his sovereign wisdom allows his people to go through the flames, through the trials, through the hardships, because it's in the flames where we come to know him and his love most dearly. You know, it's very interesting in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint. Daniel chapter 324 in the Septuagint tells us that Nebuchadnezzar literally heard these men singing praises in the flames. 
He didn't just see them walking around. He, he literally heard them singing praises in the midst of the flames. It, it reminds me of in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are in prison singing praises to God behind the prison bars. Friends, how can you praise God in your prison or worship as you walk through the flames? It's possible when you trust in God's promises. Promises like 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, do you trust God that he has a plan and purpose even for the flames that he asks you to walk through? He does, and you can. And when you put your hope and trust in him, even in the midst of the great hardships and trials of life, you'll experience his presence in ways that you can't fathom otherwise. His peace in ways that you can't know apart from the flames. You know, it's interesting here in verses 24 and 25, there's, there's one more astonishing detail we see here in Daniel's account of Nebuchadnezzar as he peered into the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't alone, were they? Nebuchadnezzar says he saw one who looked like a son of the gods. Scholars debate whether this was an angel or potentially a pre-incarnate vision of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the midst of the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it was in the flame, friends, where they were reminded of God's promise to his people. Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There may be times, friends, when God leads you into the furnace. Maybe a cancer diagnosis, a broken relationship, a loss of a job. But when he does, you can be confident that he never abandons us in the flames. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Friends, we may find ourselves living in difficult days, in a hostile land, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego still reigns today, and his promises are trustworthy as ever. So don't be ashamed to stand out, and don't be afraid to stand up, and be confident that when God calls you to stand firm, even in the flames, you'll never stand alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this great example that we have here and the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Standing bold and faithful even in the midst of great trial, hardship, and persecution. 
declaring their faith and hope in you, no matter the cost. Lord, give us that kind of faith. Give us that kind of boldness. Give us that kind of courage. And in that, Lord, may we too bear testimony to our world that there is a king in heaven, God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords, and that we will not bow to the false idols of our world. Lord, we just thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the examples that we find in your word. We thank you for the truth that we can rest our lives on to know that when we stand faithful for you, we will always find you standing faithful with us. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, please stand for our benediction this morning. From 2 John, verse 3. And now may grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. God bless you and have a great week.